You're listening to Unleashed by Nonstop Dogware, the podcast where you get inspirational stories and useful knowledge from dog lovers all over the world. This is your host, Jeanette. If you like biking, you will probably like this episode as well, as today's guest is the world champion, European champion, and Norwegian champion in bike touring. He also competes in scooter and Nordic with ski touring, polka, and four dog sled. Victor Sinding Larsen, welcome. Thank you. You have achieved some impressive results throughout many years, so of course we want to know how are you training yourself and your dogs? Now it's off season. It is. Now we just finished the winter season, so um, every year we give the dogs an eight-week off-season period where we do other things, like not uh, competition-specific training, but we try to build up their strength, so we do um, some power training, a lot of core training, but in general, less hours than what we normally do. If some of the dogs come out of the season with small injuries that we do not see, these two months normally will heal all kind of small small potential injuries. So that when we start again in two months, we know that they are prepared for a new year of training and competition. How do you build your training throughout the rest of the year? When the off-season period is over, then we start very, very light, only short trainings, maybe one, two kilometers in the beginning. And then we build up. Normally, the weather gets colder, so it's possible to do longer trainings. So that we start with one, two case, and we try to end when the competitions, the dryland competitions getting closer, we build up so that we are on nine, 10 kilometer training. And then we prepare for the dryland competitions, and when the dryland competitions is done, we are in a lack of time trying to prepare for the winter season, trying to catch up. All the Nordic guys been training huge amounts through the fall. So then uh, we have to program the dogs for longer distances, train big amounts in November, December, preparing for a competition winter. You divide your training into light, medium and hard weeks. What's the difference uh, between these weeks? We try to uh, have this light, medium and hard weeks. And in general, we do a lot of pulling. So uh, in a light week, it's maybe two or three times of pulling. But the main purpose of this week is to recover. Medium week is a bit harder, maybe three to four times a week of pulling. And then we end up with uh, with a hard week, five to six times pulling. But we also try to com- combine it with some core training or uh, just free running in a garden. You are living in Oslo, and that's a city where it could be hard to have your dogs free running. But you solve this by training them in in many other different ways. Yes, that's true. We live in Oslo, and um, it's a little bit challenging to train as much free running as we might would like to do for the capacity of the dogs but I like uh, I like swimming a lot it's a very good way gentle way of train both capacity and strength so during summer we try to swim as much as possible swimming is also a very gentle way to train the dogs to avoid injuries it is and uh, we spend quite a lot of energy on uh, on avoiding injuries for our dogs 
especially when we got our first Gristers. They were really, really good dogs, City and Sagan, because they were so amazing dogs. It was very important for us to get them to the starting line without having any injuries. It was better to compromise a little bit on the capacity training, more focus on having them without any injuries. Um, So therefore we train a lot of uh, power and core and swimming and not that much free running as maybe others do. Of course, we don't get the same capacity, but a healthy dog normally has good enough capacity for bug choring anyway. It's more important that it is without any kind of injuries. And at the European Championships this winter, you started with seven dogs. Every dog was healthy. Yeah. Even though it was a very challenging winter, with a lot of ice, it was really hard to train. We managed to bring all our seven dogs without any kind of injuries to the starting line. And uh, that's something I'm very, very proud of. The, the brain behind uh, keeping the, the dogs free of injuries is uh, my wife. She's a physiotherapist for both human and alpha dogs. And she is very good at absorbing. She spends a lot of time look for any kind of injuries if they, if they walk in special ways. She spends a lot of time just absorbing the dogs to see if there's anything wrong. This also affects the way we train. We say that we try to be better safe than sorry. There are any kind of risk involved in the plans we have or the conditions, etc. We try to to drop it just to make sure that uh, we avoid any kind of injuries, even if it's a competition. Yeah, even if it's competition. I think this has changed a little bit. Like um, when we started racing, and for many years we were like in the middle of the list. It was uh, quite a gap to the best ones, especially on the Nordic part. And then the feeling was much stronger to come up with something a little bit more fancy and involve a little bit more risk to, to close this gap. But when you continue training like this, try to involve, try to, to build the gap in a, in a fast way, it's normally not possible. And the coach of uh, Kastenvar Holm, he says that they build in millimeters, but things can be destroyed in meters. Meaning like you cannot do something fancy on one training, which means that you need continuity in your training. Every day you train, you become a little bit better. But if you do one mistake, you can ruin everything just in one training. So uh, it's better to take one step at a time, being careful, instead of having the risk to to ruin everything and put you many steps back. And I think also it's important to think about what's going on besides training. Train maybe one or two hours a day. The rest of the 23, 22 hours, it's important to be careful as well. Uh, Most of the injuries happen during that time. Do you train with both bike and scooter? Uh, I train probably like 99% of the time. On bike, I think that um, with a bike it's much more easy to find the right speed 
you can help them upwards and especially at the end of the training session you can help them in a much better way to control and find the right speed that you want for the dogs especially where we live it's uh, very hilly it's up and down especially at the end of the training when they are a little bit weaker it's super nice to go on a bike and you can help them and find the exactly speed that you want how do you know what speed is the right speed yeah in general we train very very slow downwards i think this is very important for them to to build up the trust we're going slow and downwards so that the dog have the feeling that they want to run faster and by you doing that all the time they really put themselves in a nice way into the harness they really push downwards and it's just like they want to go faster so that when the competitions come and we put the speed up then then it's something they want when it's going upwards then we train very differently sometimes we want to do it heavy sometimes we want to do it light but uh, by using a bike then you can adjust it just the way you want in general I think we train very slow. I get many questions by people following me on Strava, for example. They can see, follow each of our dog training and they ask why we go so slow. And um, I think for me, it's important just to find the good rhythm where the speed, where the dog is like flying on a comfortable speed. If the goal for us is to reach, for example, uh, 10K during this training, I try to find the speed up, down, and on the flat that will bring us to this 10K as easy easy way as possible. So speed that they will kind of roll or fly in a most efficient way. So then we have to break downwards, trying not to have not have a too high maximum speed. Try to find a good average speed, a good flow, so that as an efficient way as possible, reach the kilometers that we want. And by doing that, we can gain a lot of kilometers where the regeneration or restitution time is as low as possible. So my theory is that if I bring the speed up too much, the gaining or the effect is very small, but they need much more time to regenerate and they don't manage to run as many kilometers as if you find the right rhythm, the right flow, where they can fly away, gaining as much kilometers as possible. And that theory seemed to be correct, because you've done quite well. So, <laughs> Yeah, it, to me it seems like this is working. I have many different dogs. They're all running quite well. After a training session like this, how tired are the dogs? I always tried to variate that as well. But in general, I'm very fan of having short trainings. Very often... I end the training before they are very tired. And by doing that, quite often, they always want to push harder. It's a very important key in having the progression during the year. We start with just one or two kilometers, but I know the dogs can run two or three times as much. But by doing this many, many times, maybe five times a week, they will just push harder and harder because they know that this training is going to be short. I get to spend as much energy as I can on these two or three kilometers. And by doing this, then we can slowly add one more and one more kilometer and still have 
a lot of power building up towards 10Ks. Is it only in competition that you're really pushing it to the maximum? Yeah. Only one time a year, I push 100%. I say that every competition or exercise is like putting money into the bank. And it's only at the European Championship or the World Championship where we go 100%. So even at the Norwegian Championship or small competitions, I just do about 90-95%. I'm saving everything for the, the big championships. Because when you push your dog as hard as you can, even the strongest dog, you cannot do this very often, is my theory. Maybe I'm a little bit soft, but I think that even such a short distance cannot take out money from the bank every time. You gotta save it. And by doing this, holding back a little bit all the time, I think I have much more money in the bank when the championship is coming that I can take, take out. And during a competition, you are also working hard yourself. How much are you training yourself without the dogs? I train as much as I can. It's a busy busy life now with uh, plenty of dogs. You need a lot of training. But uh, when I train the dogs, I don't see this as an exercise myself. I put on just warm clothes and the dogs are doing the job. I ride the bike almost every day. And two or three times I have an interval per week. And we're also working with my coach on building up my leg power. So I try to, especially during winter, have two to three power workouts on my legs. So uh, so I train as much as I can because uh, the total load of uh, dogs and work and everything is, is quite high. But in bike training, it's also like as long as you reach a certain level, I think the dog gets very, very important. You need a super dog to win. You cannot win just with good legs. I know that now I'm really lucky having a super good bike-drawing dog and I have some young dogs that I think will be good as well. But without these super dogs, I have no chance. That's why we changed a little bit focus during the years. And now we have more dogs than we used to have just to be a little bit less vulnerable, to make sure that when CD, my super dog, is getting too old, I have some new dogs coming up. And of course, having four, five, six dogs in training takes a lot of energy. It affects my own cycling capacity, which I know can be improved a lot. But as long as I have one of those super dogs, I think my cycling capacity now is it's good enough. How do you see the difference between a good dog and this super dog? There are some super dogs that just, uh, they have a high speed, but it's a lot of dogs with high speed at the moment. But I think the super dogs, they also have this um, stamina. They can just run and run. And if the track is four, five, six K, it doesn't matter. They just keep on. That's also the most amazing feeling. And maybe what motivates me, it's uh, when you go for a race and you come towards the finish line and it's still power and speed in front of you. This feeling is just amazing. What do you focus on during a race? A bike touring race is very tight. You need full speed from the beginning and 
normally you don't have to think much. It's just full speed. But sometimes the track is longer. So when it more than, let's say, 5Ks, then you need to maybe start to think a little bit. And um, or my goal during a race is always to have high as high average speed as possible, but as low maximum speed. We I always compare my Strava race with uh, my wife just to see who has had the lowest maximum speed and the highest average speed because um, it's when it's going downwards. This is where you can control the race. And if you are nervous, if your dog is going to manage to have full speed all the way to the finish line, this is where you can save energy by using your brake. Don't push the maximum speed as high as possible because every dog can run fast downward if it just makes it possible. But not all dogs can manage to the finish line if they are pushed too hard when it's going downwards. So this is where... If you're nervous, if you don't know if you'll manage all the way to the finish line, you can use the downwards to, to break and save energy. Do you spend much time with the dogs besides the training itself? Yeah, I try to spend as, as much time as possible. When you train dryland, you don't spend that much hours on training. That means that you have more time available for taking care of the dogs. And I think it's very important that the dogs always feels well. It's important for the dogs to, to have good images from training. That means that it has to be 100% shape every time you take it out, which means that I try to spend much time on making them pause perfect, cut their nails, these kind of very, very simple things that should always be perfect. Because if it's not, it will just create negative images when you're training and of course uh, my wife is super she spent so much time every day just going over dogs healing their muscles and telling if it's ready for training the next day or not you have several dogs at home but how do you follow up each individual they are very different they are different in size they are different in age even though they are from the same breeding. So I try to give each one of them an individual program. They have different challenges and they need to train different things. But in general, they follow the same easy, medium and hard program. But the younger they are, the more careful I am. It depends also what they are training for. If they are training for bike touring, if they train for skiing, which is much longer, they need more training. So so then uh, I can push a little bit harder for the, for the long distance. But the young ones that are doing uh, doing a shorter distance, then, then I'm more careful. But in general, I know that at the end of a hard week, they're supposed to be a little bit tired. But I always look at how they perform on the last training and when I decide how they're supposed to train this day. And at the end, my wife is uh, feeling their muscles. She has kind of the last words if they are going out for training or not that day. Do you follow a strict program during your trainings? No. I, before each training, I have kind of plan 
uh, where we train, what we're going to train, but it's all based on feeling. What kind of problem these dogs are having. If, uh, and that's especially where we're going to put our brakes. If we're going to have uh, many stops and where we have them. But in general, I don't feel, follow a strict program. I take breaks when it's uh, where it's water so that they can have a drink. And I always try to think what's coming next. Like if the dog have problem in the uphills and I know we're coming toward uphill, maybe I have a break in front of this hill so that it's fresh and we, when we enter the uphill and, uh, and we can do this with great confidence. Or if they have problems passing a lake, for example, we can have the, the brake in front. So, and I try to, to put the brakes just before they get tired in kind of way. We don't follow the clock. Do you use a different bike during training than you do in competitions? Yes. Now I have three different kind of dog bikes. Uh, like one steel bike that's almost unbreakable that I use for everyday training with uh, big tires and big disc brakes makes it very comfortable it can't stop even if I have two dogs in front if there are people in downhills with the with the turn I can still stop easily and I have a competition bike that is always ready for racing and uh, a training bike for me if I want to simulate competitions, but I don't want to use the competition bike. So uh, by having many different bikes, it's um, very time efficient. I just bring out the old one for normal training. And uh, I know that the competition bike is always ready in mint condition at home. If you had to put away your bike and do a different uh, sport with your dogs, this is a question we ask everybody on this podcast. What sport would it be? I don't know much about other kind of dog sports, but uh, I think maybe I would uh, go for something like lure coursing. I like this idea of just have one dog and you put all your resources into the details for this one to run as fast as possible. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to Unleashed by Nonstop Dogware. If you have questions, feedback, or ideas for guests or topics to cover, please email us at unleashed at nonstopdogware.com. You can also follow Unleashed Pod on Instagram or visit nonstopdogware.com for more content. Remember to subscribe for more episodes.